0: Alright, so we are doing the topical lesson on page 59. So, if you have your study guide, that's where we'll be. Last time we talked about chapter 7, and there's a lot going on in chapter 7. Really, these two main things. It's that Paul has a very high view of marriage. Basically, in your situation, make the best of it. He says that at one point. And if you're married to a believer, don't get divorced. If you're married to an unbeliever, try not to get divorced, right? This is pretty much the theme. But then there's this kind of a weird turn, because he talks about all of this, and then he's like, oh, but actually he prefers you're just single. So there is that. We will talk on, so the next class will be on singleness. We're going to have one on making sense out of marriage, in sex and marriage, and then we're going to have another one, which which is on the opposite side, making sense out of singleness, because Paul has both of them in the same context. So that's what we'll do. So we'll do, next week, we'll do the one on singleness. I'll try to repeat this at the end, too. And I think that was all I wanted to say for review. So with that said, Ryan's going to leave some prayer, and then we'll get started. So imagine you're talking to somebody, and they, this other person's a believer, and they say, So, my preacher last time had a sermon regarding sex. Now, don't answer, but what kind of topics would you think? I'm going to bet most of you'd say it was probably talking about lust, fornication, adultery. I'd probably move, most likely, right? And I think you'd probably be right. The, I, I, would, I have noticed that there's a tendency to only ever talk about sex in a religious context when we talk about how not to do it. And I think there's a danger there. Of course, the Bible does talk about it in negative senses, too, so there's nothing wrong with that, per se, but there's also a... there's an overall theme that can sometimes be lost if we only talk about it in the negative sense. And so what can happen is is we wind up sending the message unintentionally that sex is filthy, dirty, nasty, and disgusting, so save it for that one special person. Which is kind of what happens, right? Now... Imagine if you talked to this person, and this, preacher, this person said, no, 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 my preacher didn't talk about anything like that. Actually, what he said was that marriage is a metaphor for our relationship with God. Now, if, if the preacher said that, you might be like, Could you, can you send me the recording? Because that I haven't necessarily heard before. So that's actually the conversation I want to have tonight. And so this is a topical lesson on making sense out of sex and gender in God's plan. So let's just start off with question number one. So make an argument, or bring up some points regarding that the biblical view on sex is actually beautiful. And I'm I'm mentioning this because when you talk about issues, there's three ways you can talk about it. You can talk about the logic of it, you can talk about the ethics of it, and you can talk about the aesthetics, the beauty of it. I would say that in general, the church is much more likely to talk about the ethics of it, some about the logic, and probably not about the beauty of it. Let's talk about that. What thoughts do you have on, on that? the is Right. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, the Bible is actually remarkably sex-positive in that sense when it's in this right context. You know, and th- this is a good point because you've got to go all the way back to the Genesis account. Right? And this is, this, God created it. This was good, and it was good in its purified form from the beginning. this. This would probably, if people who don't know anything about the Bible would probably be surprised, like, you know there's a whole book on the topic. <laughs> and it's not short either. <laughs> Somebody else had the name? Yes, Bob. Yeah. There were a
1: It's, uh, you know, it's something
0: about and about it one that you Right. And I like that you bring up the phrase, one flesh, because I think sometimes we misread that. What we think is what Paul's saying is it's just a, a euphemism for sex. But I think it's a euphemism for something much, much, it's not a euphemism, it's a picture of something, what it's supposed to be in its bigger picture. And if you read it like that, it makes a lot of sense out of some passages. For example, in chapter 6... Paul says, I'm going to paraphrase him here, but don't you know that when you have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh with her? Now here's how I think sometimes we read that. We read it as saying, don't you know that when you have sex with a prostitute, you have sex with a prostitute? But that doesn't make any sense, right? Because of course, that's what the statement means. And I think he's saying something like, no, don't you understand that when you do this, you become connected with her in a deeper way, or at least you're supposed to. So there's a tearing, maybe not a physical tearing, but there's there's something going on there that when you break away from that, that it leaves you damaged. And he later says that is a sin against your own body. Uh, So I think we have a hand raise up here, and then Bob, uh, oh, Jesse and Bob. Yeah, and I like that too because you've connected it to the creative aspect because I think what, one of the things the world wants to do is disconnect that from that and then as soon as you do that and, and sex is all about your own pleasure and it's disconnected from that, that story then this is where you get situations where they want the sex but they don't want the children after it uh, Bob and getting back to your saying also as well, is you know, always hear
1: people say well it's just sex it doesn't has- well, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> one flesh means more than just the uh, physical piece of it. And, again, I would just a few moments ago, it's, you know, more the, the uh, procreation aspect of it is, is much more, you know, there's something to it.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and I think you're right. This is exactly how the world thinks about it. Because the world, it's bizarre because it thinks, in one hand, too much about sex. Like if you're not having enough, it's like, why are you even living? Meanwhile, when you say, then they say, well, it's no big deal. It's basically like the handshake. So why does God care who I have sex with? So it's like, on one hand, they think it's like the, the big, it's too high. And in the other hand, they just act like it's nothing. And I feel like the world is falling into this kind of a sexual nihilism, where in the end, it's nothing. I heard a clinical psychologist in an interview, and he said, and he's not even a believer. He said, sex is a miracle. And he said, I know how some people think about it. Some people say, oh no, sex is nothing. He said, you can say that, but then you have nothing. This is the problem with it. Right? They've taken the miraculous out of it, and they've taken the value out of it. And then there's something they're left with something that's really not meaningful at all anymore. Yes, John.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know if they do this today yet, but if I remember kids okay, they would be like cross rings. <laughs> I was always
0: Yeah, there was something, that it was Mary who said, I think it was a couple classes ago, I think it was when we did chapter 6, chapter 5, I think it might have been chapter 5. And she said, regarding fornication, I'm going to try to quote her exactly, but she said something to the effect of, "If if our marriage relationship is a metaphor for a relationship with God, then it makes sense that something like the fornication would be wrong because it violates that metaphor. And I think that's I think that's exactly right, right? You have to fit it to the whole idea of covenant. Which guess what? Go back and read the Old Testament. The covenant is there too between God and humans. Somebody has a hand raised. Oh, Alan And
1: at the end of the section there we talked about fleeing, sexual immorality, and
3: do not know which the Holy Spirit. Um, he makes the point verse twenty, that you are to glorify God in your body. So it seems to me that that's the extension of what you've talking about. The proper relationship glorifies God in your body.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you see, go back to Mary's point about how if this is a metaphor, if the way we use our bodies is a metaphor of our relationship with God changes your understanding of some other passage. It was Jesse just today texted me. He's like, you know, it does change your perception on what it means that your body is a temple. That's a lot more meaningful in that category. Mike.
3: So this may be taking it a little far, I may, but I can't help but think of the consummation of the Holy Spirit and Mary to produce Jesus here on earth, and so. Holy spiritual marriage as well, that I thought was very interesting. That you know that she was she was she became pregnant. Of course, we don't know exactly how that happened, but I think there's a metaphor there as well that is so beautiful that talks about how God the the Holy Spirit um, is engaged and involved. Um, I think even on the level of.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. And I I like this idea of the body and the spirit kind of coming together, because that's what, this goes back to what Bob's point is, is, that we wind up in the world, has this view that sex is nothing. So they just want the physical, they just want the body aspect, but they don't want the spiritual aspect. And what we're saying is it's not one versus the other. We're saying it's when body and spirit come together. I mean, what is death? But when the spirit has been cut off from the body. Bob.
1: God created marriage with Adam and Eve. And then, not the Bible, it uses the relationship that God created to explain to us what our relationship should be to God. So, I don't know. Like, a, look at, I'm
0: looking at it from the other day. Yeah, so uh, you do have to get the ordering right because there was... Okay, I don't know if you all know. Well, I'll have to explain it because I'm sure almost no one here knows. But there's this thing called ChatGPT, it's an AI. And you can type it and say, just make me a song about whatever. You put something in it and it'll just create one. And somebody said, make me a song about, that could be about Jesus or about my boyfriend, okay? Now that does it totally wrong because it uses the metaphor, but it flips the metaphor. So it depends on, this Maybe we go be what you're going. And the lyrics of the song come out and they're vaguely romantic, which is just weird because it's supposed to be about Jesus too. And it's all about what this person does for me. And I think sometimes we have to make sure the metaphor, the type, and the anti-type goes the right direction. If we get it inverted, we're going to get it wrong. The, the right way is not to take the, the beauty of our relationship with God and bring it down here. Rather, we're supposed to take marriage and we're supposed to bring it up there, up to the metaphor. Right. So the ordering there, I think, is, is quite significant. Yes, Mitch? So- point. And that fits this whole idea of covenant, too. Because if we, if we corrupt the view of marriage, we corrupt the view of a covenant. And when we, co- we corrupt the view of a covenant, we're going to corrupt this with, with our our understanding of God will decay, too, inherently. I was thinking about this because, this is going to sound weird, but Jesus has a... He does not believe somebody should get divorced because someone burned the toast. And I take a certain a certain, what's the word for it, comfort from that. Because if he's saying, I don't want your relationship with your spouse to just fall apart because they burn the toast, it it can't be like that. It's got to be this long-standing, you're in it for the long-haul relationship. You know what that means. If he's saying that my relationship with my wife should be like that, it means his relationship with me is like that. He's not going to drop me for burning the toast either. Lisa. Yeah, and I love that. We tend to read, we don't read verse 17 right in that context. It was a, it was a bit of a shock when I read it. I was like, oh, this fits so well. And it's like I had seen the, how this was being used in the overall scripture, and it wasn't until then that I went back reading chapter 6, I saw it was right there the whole time. I just didn't, I didn't see it. Next verse. Uh, we have, so we got Mitch and then Josh. Sure. yeah Bob does that would you prefer sign over metaphor or do you still not like it I didn't have Bob read the book yes <laughs> <laughs> ish. Ish. okay that's okay we'll work on that you could say sign signpost I don't know there's probably a better word uh, what's that similarity. similarity okay that's more generic so we'll go with that yeah Yeah, I think the whole idea of connecting, and Ryan mentioned this in his prayer about being made in his image, and that's precisely why, if you, why animals may copulate, but that is not the same thing as a one flesh union. Right, this is the thing that the world both gets right and gets wrong, because on one hand they'll say it's nothing, and in there he'll songs on the radio that talk about how profound this relationship is. They can't figure it out, right? So they want to say, like, it's nothing, and then they listen to these songs and write poetry, it's like, no, you you get one or the other. Either it is or it is not. And I've never understood, by the way, why in the world, I'm shocked that when people will say that such and such sexual activity is okay because the animal kingdom does it. It's like I want to stop and say, what did you just say? Think about that argument. There are animals who eat their children. Okay, (laughs) It just seems like it falls apart, Jesse. And if that's the case, wouldn't that be exactly where, if this is supposed to have a similarity, I mean, he's Bob's word, Bob approved. If this has a similarity and it's supposed to teach us a lesson about this bigger picture, isn't that exactly where the devil would want to launch a, a fight against?
3: didn't have to be pleasurable, it didn't have to be, it could have been
0: This goes all the way back to Lisa's point about it. if it was if it was designed by God, it was designed right. Okay. Yes. Made that connection before. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good point. I think Mary had a hand raised.
1: In regards to the physical union
3: that's that much, that green joy and pleasure, it's also an act of trust um, in that covenant where you are at your most vulnerable uh, position in your self-worth, and you
0: Right? And, it, and this is where it, fits, it makes so much sense in a covenant because it's, it's going to keep it special because it's not just shared with everybody. Plus, think about how a covenant makes this safer in an appropriate sense. Because I remember there was a story years ago where there was a couple of people, I think they were high schoolers, maybe early college, but I think they were high schoolers. And they wound up having sex. Turns out the guy recorded her. And he, he let the video go out. And so it went, it went online. And it destroyed her reputation right but this is precisely it, it lacked the safety that came with this covenant and so it was treated like it was nothing and it destroyed her because of that i think somebody else said john i nice. the, you really have to work back and ask the question, what is the exact problem Paul's dealing with? Because that's what makes this difficult. I I was talking to Ariel, and there was something in chapter 7 where it talks about how a single person is not divided between body and spirit, but the married person, and you're like, whoa, 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 hold on, are you saying that a married person is divided in body and spirit? And it almost sounds like that. And I don't think Paul's actually saying that. I think he's. If it, you have to get into the nuance of what exactly is the situation there. I think when you realize that the situation's going on, probably somebody's got, because he talks about anxiety in the context there, somebody who's making too much, they're worried too much about it, then it starts to fit. Because he says everybody should act like they're not married. Well, obviously, he didn't mean they shouldn't be having sex if they're married, because he just said you should. So he's meaning about, I think, not being too whole, you know, too beholden to this world, I mean, too invested in this world. And when you read it like that, it's like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. So you kind of have to figure out what is the exact context he's talking about there. But I agree with you. You read other places, and Ephesians 5, most noteworthy, he has a very high view on it. And, Brian? Totally agree, and this is where fornication violates this so much. And there's actually research behind this. I mean, if you think about it, if you have never had chocolate cake before, and you have chocolate cake, it's the best chocolate cake you've ever had. You can honestly say that. I so say the problem is is people are sampling all sorts of different things. It, it really breaks this. And I say the research backs this up because there's what they found is that when when a couple has sex, they the the chemicals that are called like bonding, I can't remember if it's like Oxycontin, and there's several of them, they actually cause you to to bond with that person. So if a person is just fornicating, having sex with whoever they want, and they keep breaking that, they have, to, they have to disconnect sex from the emotional connection. So it goes from being one flesh union to just sex. The only way is it ends in sexual nihilism, where it's basically nothing. It's basically a handshake. They're forced to do that, right? And so what happens is, is that when people get married, people who have had a lot of sexual partners are much more likely to have the marriage fall apart. Because it's, they've had to disconnect the bonding mechanism from the thing itself. Now, that's not to say that those people can't gain it back again. They can, but it's going to take a lot of effort. Right? Now. Yeah, it is. And we're going to talk about that. That's a perfect leading by the way. <laughs> Anybody want to make a comment before we move to the next topic? Question? Same topic. All right. Let's stick to question number five because this fits in. Because this picture is throughout the Bible. And I, so the question would be the Bible opens with a marriage in God's presence and it closes with a marriage in God's presence, right? Adam and Eve, and it ends with Christ and the bride of Christ being married at the end. So, you know we talk about chiastic structures? This is the chiastic structure of the entire Bible. And it's not just at the front and the end, it's in the middle, all over the Old Testament. And so I wanted to talk about what kind of passages you've noticed. Let's talk about those pictures of that that's throughout the Bible, because there's a lot. Micah. Micah. Ezekiel chapter 16 is one that we often will look at the end and the horde of the harlotry and, uh, and infidelity there. But we also see love and pouring out of that expression of sacrificial love toward, toward the beloved there. And so just see, seeing it in its purity yeah, Ezekiel, six, Ezekiel sixteen is a one of the really good one to bring up. It's a strange thing, so I'll just explain in case you haven't read that recently. Is that it starts off comparing Israel to a little baby that has been abandoned, left in the desert to die. It's called infant exposure. And people back then, they would, more likely they would do it with the females. It's probably why it's a female in that one too. They would just say, "I wanted a male," so they just leave the baby out. And so God is coming by, sees this baby in the desert. It's in the desert, okay, because this is actually a a parallel to Israel's story. And he says, no, 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 you're going to live. So he he takes this child and he raises it. And then all of a sudden it it switches the metaphors to more of a husband-wife relationship. But the wife, meaning here Israel, cheats on him. But then it comes around back again and it says, okay, but one day I'm going to take you back out to the wilderness. Remember, Israel's relationship with God started in the wilderness. It's almost like saying we're going to go back to the beginning And we're going to have a massive do-over. And this time I'm going to speak softly to you. And we're going to make this right. And you're going to remain pure in the end. Jesse.
1: basically made all of this to tell his story.
0: Yeah, I'll, tell you, I'll say the book he's talking about. Is a, this is a book that I gave it to some people. It's called, it's by a guy named Christopher West. It says how our, the title is How Our Bodies Tell God's Story. And, I mean, I don't agree with everything in the book. I tell people, read chapters 1 through 3. Although Mindy says she thought the better chapter was not in chapter 1 through 3. So I forgot what that was. Uh, but the book is actually pretty good. I mean, there's certainly parts, actually, I would say it's very good. There's parts of you know, be adults about it. I don't agree with everything in it, but unless it's Jesus saying it, I probably don't agree with everything in it. So, I mean, there's that. But the book overall, I like it. And the reason I handed some copies of the book out, is, you know, it'd be the most awkward thing. It'd be like, hey guys, let's have a lesson about sex and have dead air. So, <laughs> so I basically, people like seeded some, com- some uh, ideas in the, in the conversation. Any other passages you can think of where this, this idea shows up in the Old Testament, Karen? Yeah, Hosea is well, I think one of the other, of the, well, I'll just say best examples, best examples of the idea, not, it made an badly, but, but yeah, I agree. And it, it's funny, when you read that stuff, too, you realize that the pain and how the darkness of it not being used right is, has to be correlated with the beauty of the covenant. That's what makes it so dark when it's violated, right? Yeah, Abraham's story. That's a good one. I hadn't thought about that because Abraham decides to take things, matters into his own hands because it seems like maybe God's forgotten, maybe God's not going to. And what happens? Disaster. Right? Abraham just makes it worse. Mike. So I couldn't
3: help you about David, but let's hear David yeah. with Bathsheba, which is outside of marriage, right? And then when you bring marriage into it, after everything bad, it great spent. But when you finally bring marriage into it, then it becomes much more beautiful because then we have the birth of Solomon who actually wrote Solomon Solomon which gives us this book that's all about the beauty of marriage and sex and, 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 and God's plan for, for man in that regard so we see the, 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 the gamut
0: here in that life yeah good point point. and it's weird I and mean, then you almost see the loop come back around with Solomon too right where it's like he didn't just lose his faith and therefore use sex inappropriately he starts marrying all these women and actually that's why he loses his faith Sorry to make it dark, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <sorry. laughs> I did open saying we should have a positive discussion, right? Okay, I got Lisa, Heather Hedda, and Anne Marie. And Craig. Got it, Anne Marie. We did not. I think you hadn't was it you who had mentioned it in one of the prior classes but we did talk about Malachi 2 now Yeah, that's true. That brings a lot of the parts together. That actually fits nicely with Lisa's point, too, about chapter 7, verse 16, where, he, where Paul goes on to talk about the spirit aspect of it. And Lisa and then Craig. Just not putting away in Yeah, that's true. And it says he did that to because he was a righteous man. Hmm. Okay.
4: Again, um, it is this heartbreaking realization that we still have to choose to accept and, and be part of that covenant. God's there as a faithful husband saying, I'll take you back. I'm, I'm here. It, it doesn't matter what you've done. I'll take you back. Um, but you hear God, and I think you also hear Hosea speaking to the people, saying, okay, re- repent. Repent. Um, but God says, I, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. God is that protective, supporting, compassionate husband. Um, and he's, he's begging for us as people. You know, the, the covenant is here, and it's good, and it's glorious, and you're ruined without it. Um, and so just uh, try, try to, to make that real for us. That God is always there, ready to take us back, no what, we've, we've got to choose and
0: accept it. Yeah. yeah, and it makes sense too, because the big story is not that God had rejected us, it's that we walked away from Him. He didn't walk away from us, we walked away from Him. And He's willing to accept us back, but we've got to be willing to want back in. Yes, it's done. This is maybe
2: He's kind of like, he isn't sure how to do this, right? He's like handling hey, all these traditional clients. He's like, hey, here's an idea of how do you can do it, right? So, just kind of another like aspect of, you know, being another voice, helping you out, getting you out of your own head. That's what sort we're of talking
0: about. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I totally agree, because you said it it removes some pressure from us, because I think sometimes people look to marriage to fill a hole that only God can fill, and that's never going to work. This also explains, we're going to talk about this next week, singleness, because this is why people in a certain sense who are single don't necessarily have to have that fear of missing out, because the whole point is it's pointed to a bigger relationship, and we all will have that. Katrina.
1: just a small portion
0: of what God is when we walk away from And you know, the flip side of that too is that we should be broken up if we don't have that relationship with God. right? That's how we should be if we're actually thinking about this in the right way. One thing too I'll point out. You ever thought it was odd when Jesus makes the point several times about Him being the bridegroom? But if you think about it, if, if that is, if he's looking back at the Old Testament, when this picture is being used about God as if he's married to Israel, the whole bridegroom idea makes a lot more sense. Because if you look at the, when these passages, we're talking about Hosea and Ezekiel and so forth, you see this picture where God says, it's as if I'm your husband, Israel. And I remember talking to somebody, this actually is weird. I remember talking to somebody. He said that you should be so in love with God that you can't go on without Him, and I was like, "Yeah, in love. I don't know. That sounds kind of a romantic term. I'm not going to use that for God." Well, guess what? I'm wrong, because that's used in the Old Testament. I mean, there are a lot of weirder passages than that in the Old Testament, and so that picture is supposed to be used for that. So, the picture is that God is as if He's a spouse to Israel, has, has tried to protect her and given her everything she needs. She violates that covenant. And then God wants to bring her back in. And then there's all these future-looking statements about how, you know, one point, you know, Hosea talks about how I'm going to go to her and we're going to go back out to the wilderness. Remember, that's where the relationship began. We're, we're going to have this big do-over. And it's going to be beautiful. And she's actually going to be faithful this time. Okay, that's, see that, that wedding picture, that marriage picture is in there? And then Jesus shows up saying, I'm the bridegroom. And this isn't the time to be fasting. This is the time to be celebrating. Right, that, all of a sudden Jesus' point of bridegroom fits a whole lot better. Jesse. I think that it's so much easier for us to slip into a trap of treating, even as Christians, treating sex as almost nothing. Not than our behavior in a sense, but we still kind of think of it like that. And then we're like, you know, that's. I, I think this is, this is because we see this all the time. We see high divorce rates and that sort of thing, unfortunately. And I, I've seen this in in some books written by Christians, too. Some of the books are good, some of them are a you little know, questionable, but, or worse. But I have to say, I've seen some books that almost treat. Sex is nothing in the sense, not in the sense that they, they, they say that you can go just do whatever you want. They don't mean it like that. But I'll hear in books, they'll say, well, your spouse is your only outlet or something like that. It's like, don't talk about their spouse as an outlet. I mean, there's such a low view on it. Okay, we have, I think we had a hand raised back here. Mike died which i find a little bit hilarious that it's the it guy and his mic died so okay so we're going to do the lesson on singleness on um, what day is it today it would be sunday we'll do the lesson on singleness thanks y'all